Welcome to, well, that fucked me up. It really did. A podcast with Luke Coulson. And Kyle Wise. And each week we're going to be talking to real guests about their amazing, often traumatic, life-changing events. Focusing on stories of survival, hope, and overall triumph. Which is flipping awesome. Yeah. Because we're all about that. We're all about listening to people's stories about adversity and trauma and, and crazy stuff. I think there really is something for everybody. There's many, many topics, many, many guests, people that really have got through uh, some extraordinary things. Please share the love, share the show, get in touch, follow us, subscribe, click. We're trying to make it easy and open for people to discuss things that may normally feel tricky to do so. Um, We've been on an extraordinary journey and we're glad you can join us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another fun-packed and exciting episode of Well, That Fucked Me Up. I'm Luke. And I'm Kyle. What were you about to say, Kyle? I was like, it sure did. Oh, okay. We can roll with that. It sure did. Um, (laughs) Today, we're joined by Christina. Hi, Christina. Hello. Lovely to be here. It's so nice to have you. Um, I I will say I have not been a guest on too many podcasts, so I'm a little nervous. I have like a little outline of like talking points, which I never do for my own podcast, but... That's um, fun. Well... (laughs) We'll we'll try and make sure we touch on all of them. And um, we're going. Are we going back to your childhood? Is that where we're going? Where do you want to start? Well, so the first thing that I wanted to say before I tell my story is um, I wanted to talk about trauma as it is because I, I was looking at your website and I listened to like a few of your episodes and I was thinking. God, my story is not nearly that dramatic. Like, do I even belong on the podcast? Like, and so I think the first thing I want to say is that um, whatever your trauma is, you're valid. Um, I just got out of treatment for my eating disorder. Mm. And um, there's a lot of comparisons that go on Mm. in any treatment, but, um, but especially eating disorder treatment. You know, you hear war, war stories of I got to this weight or I was in treatment for Oof, this long. And yeah. you start comparing yourself to other people and thinking, do I even deserve to be here? I'm not sick enough. Yeah. And um, like my therapist would call it like big T trauma versus little T trauma. Like, mm. um, so me, myself, I have only recognized my experiences as traumatic in the last few years. Thanks to therapy. Um, I grew up with a loving family um, and didn't have any huge big T trauma happened to me, as they say. But um, I can at this point say that I was traumatized. And even saying that, I feel kind of guilty because, you know, my parents love me and they're still married. And like, I was never sexually abused or anything like that, that I would consider like big T trauma. Mm. Yeah, Um, but that doesn't take away from your experience. Exactly. And so I like that you guys have an array of guests on your show that, uh, with dif- differing experiences, and I'm really thankful that uh, to be on and talk about my own, and hopefully people can see that like it doesn't matter, you know how quote unquote big your trauma is. Like it, if it's if it traumatized you, then it's traumatic enough. If that makes sense, I, I love that. And very quickly, I, I do always find a way of making everybody else's episodes about me. So I'm just going to quickly um, <laughs> say that I thought my trauma revolved around the big experience of the death of my friend. 
But as it transpired, my trauma was more around not feeling loved and being totally insecure and having self-esteem issues because of certain factors in my childhood upbringing. And that's the fact of that. And I only figured that out in the last few years, you know? Yeah. I was listening to your episode about your friend's death. And I, I think sometimes when we do have something big like that happen to us, we can, at least for me, um, I can kind of see it as like a scapegoat. Like, oh, this is the reason. Yes, yes. This is the reason I'm fucked up. We don't need to talk about anything else. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like that at all. So tell us. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> okay. So I grew up, uh, I'm the oldest of seven children. My dad was in the Navy growing up, so we moved around a lot. Uh, we were homeschooled, uh, mm. partly due to the moving around a lot, but mostly due to the fact that my parents were very religious. Mm. Uh, my dad was a chaplain, and when he retired from the military, he became a pastor. So um, I'm a classic military brat, preacher's kid. I can't remember a time in my life without siblings. Like I've always been taking care of my siblings. Um, I, I, I was one and a half when my brother was born. So, right. wow. um, yeah, only children. I don't know what it's like for you. That's crazy. <laughs> Y'all are weird. Just kidding. <laughs> um, are either of you an only child? Absolutely not. Okay. Cool. So I can talk to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> you can talk openly because obviously no one else is listening, or are they? Oh, yeah. my mom. My mom will probably be yeah. listening. I know. Well, I I'm always go on, Kyle. <laughs> I was just saying hi. Mom. Oh yeah, I'm always oh. very when I'm talking about my upbringing with my parents. I'm always really, really conscious actually because I don't want to. Like, oh, yeah. I don't want to go back and say the whole reason why all of this happened to me is because of this, and then have my mom and you know listen and say oh. Christ, you know, I mean, we t we're very open about the whole thing, but also my mum's oh, yeah. a pastor as well. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> it's a very special club to be sure. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of crying. <laughs> is, is, it, is it just me or were all the, like the, we used to call them PCs, like pastors, children or PKs, pastor kids. Like, were they always the ones that you partied with, like the hardest Oh my God. Yeah. All, of, all the preacher's kids I know are fucked up. Um, myself Brilliant. included, obviously. Um, yeah. It turns out when you repress someone and don't let them have anything growing up, then they kind of go crazy oh. when they get out. They kind of go off the deep end. Hmm. About that. Okay. So but yeah, we grew up very... Yeah. Um, fundamentalist Christian. So, uh, like, the girls weren't allowed to wear pants. We weren't allowed to listen to rock music Gosh. because the beat goes against your heartbeat. It's the devil. Oh. Um, honestly, it, it's really hard for me to talk about my childhood because I've blocked out a lot of things. Like, it's all fuzzy. And it's uh, the, my siblings will tell you the same thing. Like, we've all kind of have these parts of our lives where we're like, wait, that happened? Wow. Um, so, so, yeah, we were homeschooled, moving around a lot. Um, I always felt very different from because uh, we were that dorky family with like the giant van and like the school. My, our parents made us wear school uniforms, even though we weren't like in school. No. Um, awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So I started kind of. Well, so when I was 12, I started getting active online, um, talking to people on chat boards um, I lo really loved making websites for fun. Uh, I was a Lord of the Rings freak at the time, so I made like a Lord of the Rings fan website. I met people through like Lord of the Rings chat rooms, all in secret because we weren't allowed to go to chat rooms. Of course. 
Um, and so I started feeling like things people talked about online, I did not get at all, um, like pop culture references, mm. um, social stuff, uh, descriptions of hanging out with their friends or like group activities. I couldn't relate to any of it. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, that's the first time I started feeling kind of different. As I grew, it got worse. Um, the first time I self-harmed was uh, when I was 13. It was actually at a Christian conference that we were attending. Um, and I was sitting in the pew and they were talking about the umbrella of authority and how like children are at the very middle of the umbrella and then the mom covers them and then the husband covers the mom and the church covers the husband. And like, you, if you stray out from under the umbrella, you're going to get hurt. Bad oh, things will happen. My God. And I remember feeling so frustrated and just trapped and I didn't know what to do with myself. So like, I just, um, I don't want to give details or anything, but like sure. I would start, I like self-harmed with like a pen and like, right. that was the first time it happened and it would continue to happen for like a decade after that. But, because um, you, because, and again, not to get into the whole whys of this, because not, ne- they were not necessarily here to, to discuss the whole reason why you ended up doing that. But was there just a sense of feeling trapped, like needing to feel something that you just didn't feel? Oh yeah. yeah. I didn't have, I didn't know any healthy way to express it. We weren't, wow. we didn't talk about mental health. We didn't talk about our problems. Mm. You know, we, just had to follow the rules. And if you followed the rules, you would be okay. And mm. I was following the rules. I was such a good kid, so responsible. And my, I was still feeling trapped and oh. sad. And um, so in my mind, I was like, I'm following the rules, but I'm feeling all these things. What's wrong with me? I'm just, and I can't tell my parents because then, you know, they'll be disappointed or, or scared or your parents made it feel like you, your parents made it feel like you definitely couldn't come to them with those things or you felt like you couldn't no. come to them with those things. No. Ugh. Um, at the same time, uh, I don't know. So, um, sex positivity is something we never had as women or as young girls, we were taught that, you know, your body is a temple, but also you need to cover up because there's evil men out there that'll hurt you. Mm. And so it's like a mixed message. We are being taught that we're supposed to glorify our body, but also cover it up because mm. it's shameful. And so I was very, very sex negative, like my whole life. Um, it's still something I deal with to this day. I feel it's part of the reason why I've had an eating disorder for 15 years is because I feel um, like... I don't want to be sexual. I don't want to take up space. Mm, I don't want attention. Um, And so that was all going on as well. And so where was I? Yeah. So after that first incident of self-harm, I just kind of grew up very quietly. Like I had like two friends and um, I don't know. The first time that I, that my eating disorder started was um, at a Christmas party, one of my dad's congregants. Um, And I just remember sitting against the wall and everyone was like ignore, ignoring me. My parents had recently like found out about my self-harm. So they took away my like tools. So right. like I didn't have anything. And I remember just feeling like invisible and it was kind of nice to be that anonymous. No one was paying attention to me, but also I was like, this sucks. Like yeah. no one's paying attention to me. I mean, I need help. Like yeah. I feel so uh, anxious. Like, yeah. And so I just remember like going, like eating a bunch of cookies and like, just filling me up and like uh, feeling comfort from that. And then it's like, I went into a trance and when I woke up, all the cookies were gone and I was like, Oh, holy shit. Like this isn't, I can't have this. And so like, I went to the toilet, threw up and like, that was the first time it ever happened. And 
It felt like a high. Wow. Like, I mean, I have, have a lot of substance abuse issues too. Um, I'm sober from alcohol for two years. Congratulations. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. Congratulations. But yeah, I mean, there's other things I, I've always, I consider myself an addict, mm. um, you know, not just with substances, but you know, food relationships. Mm. Um, I just, when I get a taste, I need more, more, more. Mm. And I'm interested just to talk about the eat, the eating disorder, which oh. was your first episode of that. But I, I'm assuming that then led to the beginning of a cycle. And you're saying that that gave you some control that you really desperately needed because that was, totally. what is the thinking behind that? Because that's your your thing that you have that no one knows about or that you, you're in control of something? Yeah, um, I didn't have any control. And so that was one thing. And this is a classic story. I'm, I'm not unique in any ways. Um, a lot of people turn to eating disorders because they're in really... Um, they're in a situation where they don't have control. Mm. And so that was certainly true for me. Mm. Uh, I kept, I kept doing it. Cause like, yeah, it, like I was saying, it was like a runner's high. It was like when you try a new drug for the first time and it hits your bloodstream and like, wow. you just feel so calm and floaty and like you could do anything. And that's how it felt like me, uh, for me to purge for the first time. Wow. So I, I kept doing it. Um, when I was 17, I went to treatment for the first time. Uh, I was suicidal and my therapist uh, told me, hey, you need to go. So I was there uh, inpatient for 11 days and I, I almost didn't graduate high school because of it. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say at the time um, we were in a private Christian school. We had stopped being homeschooled. Wow. Uh, my parents made the decision to move us to this private Christian school. And I was a senior. And so I was given the decision, would you like to finish your last year homeschooled or would you like to go to this school for one year? Mm. And I picked the school because I figured, you know, I might as well have one year of normalcy before of college. Yeah. <laughs> normalcy in big air quotes because it wasn't normal in the least. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was more uh, exposure to, you know, uh, to people. Yes, totally. To, um, you know, subjects like math and science were not my mom's forte. And so I didn't really, I wasn't really comfortable in those areas. Yeah. And so, ha, can um, I ask, <laughs> so from zero to 17 being homeschooled and being, I guess, monitored a bit by your parents and that you're saying they kind of made sure that you weren't watching certain things and you had no reference to pop culture. It, that sounds yeah. like something you might see on the news, like that suddenly a whole family of children. Are, <laughs> not that they, so, not that they were keeping you under lock and key, but that's huge, isn't it? It was huge, um, and just to, like they are way better now. Um, having a lot of adult kids has really taught them things, and um, they'll they'll own up to most of their mistakes. Uh, I. That's a whole other issue, but yeah, it was pretty bad back then. <laughs> so um, when issue. I started attending this Christian school, I was a senior. All the, all the other kids have been together since third grade, so it was a very tight-knit group, and I felt, again, like the outsider. Um, and at the very same time, my mom was um, turning to opioids again. Uh, oh. She had been a drug addict in her 20s. She was also anorexic and bulimic. But, you know, she'd gotten better. And part of that was uh, she attributes to faith that got her through that. Hmm. And since she married my dad, she hadn't had any incidents or so I thought. Hmm. Um, she got prescribed a lot of pain meds for her back and she started abusing them. Oof. And I bore witness to a lot of those episodes. Um, there were times she just wasn't in her right mind, like high off her mind. And I had to like 
put the other kids to bed and like shield them from her because they were scared. And did you know what was going um, on with her at that point? Did you suspect or did you even know that she was on? I don't, I don't, honestly, that's kind of one of those periods that I kind of blocked out of my mind. Mm. I remember her in her long white now- nightgown walking around the house just saying nonsense and my oh. younger sister was crying because she was scared of her and so I remember putting my mom to bed and like locking the door and my mom was like trying to get out and I I was like what the fuck is happening <laughs> like I need oh I, I was scared but I had to like I I had to put all my siblings to bed and like um I think at some point my dad came I, I don't know where he was at the time he uh was always gone doing church stuff wow um, but at one point, he and I drove her to detox. Wow. And when once we had admitted her, my dad was like, okay, um, this is what's going to happen. You, your, you kids are going to go off to different friends for a week or so. It'll be fun. And then we'll be back to normal. And no one talked about it ever. And when she came home, no one talked about it ever. Wow. Um, and they, she still doesn't like to talk about it. I mean, she has been on my podcast. Like we've talked about it. Um, and she knows, you know, she's apologetic and everything, but wow. like I, I am so close with her now because we both have this like quote unquote addict gene. That's a, um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And so. Just think, I know, uh, we're, I know we're skipping around a bit, but it's just because you keep saying things that are just, that's just all so fascinating. Oh, Do, please, she, let's skip around. I don't really know what I'm, I'm no, really bad at seeing on tracks. No, this is great. This is great. It's just brilliant. Um, does your mum feel guilty about the way she brought you guys up? Does she beat herself up about it a bit? 100%. Mm. So um, I recently went to residential treatment for my eating disorder back in January and um, my therapist asked me if I wanted to have family sessions over Zoom with anyone mm. in my family. And so my first thought was my mom because um, like she's had all these issues, but she's never been to therapy. She's mm. very resistant to therapy. Almost everyone else in my family has been to therapy, but she has never been. And she probably need, needed it the most, you know. <laughs> uh, I would say that to her face. Like <laughs> I've been trying to get her to go forever. But so she agreed to do these Zoom calls with me and my therapist. Mm. And it was very discouraging for me because she kept turning it all around on her. Like it was her fault that she fucked me up. Right. And um, even though I, I kept reassuring her, like, you know, it happened, but I don't blame you. And, uh, you know, just be better moving forward. And cool. she's just so trapped in the past of like blaming herself for everything. And um, so it was, it's kind of hard to make progress with her at this point in time because of that. Yeah. Um, and she's growing all the time, like as am I, like, as is everybody, right? And that's, like, and that's great that she's at a point where it sounds like the adult children and you guys and your siblings are open. There hasn't been any kind of like, we all hate you and we never want to see you again and you totally fucked up our lives. It sounds like you're working with her and it sounds like she's in an okay place because that's, I guess, what she needs, you know? Because the worst yeah, thing well, you can do I mean, is... The only way I'm able to have a relationship with her now is because I moved out when I was 18 and I never went back. Right. <laughs> um, I left the house. So I, I got out of treatment at 17. I graduated from high school just barely. And then I was like, what do I do? Because I hadn't been applying to colleges because I was mm. self-harming and throwing up and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was like, you should go to this Christian school in Oklahoma where I went. And I was like, okay. 
and, <laughs> and it was a not uh, it was a bad decision. Let me tell you. Um, I went for two and a half years studying multimedia production. It was kind of like what my experience growing up, but like on steroids. Oh wow. It was pretty insane. And, you know, it's Oklahoma. So yeah. I, I just wanted to be away from home at that point. I didn't even think about what I was getting myself into. Kyle? What, what is a Christian church or a Christian college like? Well, you... so for one thing, we had an honor code we had to sign oh um, stating that we would not swear, use drugs, have premarital sex. Wow. Um, curfew was at 1.30 a.m. Actually, it, that was pretty... Um, generous because in past years it had been 12.30 for girls and 1.30 for guys. That's that's terrifying. Kyle, sorry, go on. Oh, oh I was yeah. going to say that the <laughs> honor code I feel like it's just everything that's normal to do in college. It was bullshit. I mean, so I went, <laughs> so I met the right kind. I, I kind of gravitated towards like the bad kids, if you will, because I had been raised so, you know, in a bubble. And so I was in college, I wanted to have fun. And so, um, you know, I had my first sexual experiences there. I had my first, like, I drank for the first time, got drunk for the first time there. And I knew a lot of kids that did that too. Like the honor code, that's why I say it's bullshit. Cause it doesn't like, it doesn't mean anything. And mm. you know, <laughs> Christianity is full of hypocrites. <laughs> so um, that that whole experience kind of um, was the beginning of my losing my faith. And um, up until then, I had been a very good Christian girl. Um, I, I always had a lot of doubt. Like, my dad w- believed in predestination. So, like, everything has already been predestined mm-hmm. and planned. And so I would think, well, what's the re- purpose of converting people if everything's already... And my dad would just say, you're a tool for God. You're part of the plan. Wow. And it, it confused the hell out of me as a kid. No, like, no pun intended. But um, uh, I remember being at a youth group with a friend. And they were in the youth group. They, they were, we were watching a video. And there was like a picture of hell. And it was like, this is where your friends are going if you don't talk about Jesus to them. And so uh, a lot of guilt. My whole life was just basically guilt, shame. Guilt, wow. shame, fear, doubt, shame, guilt. Wow. Um, but moving on to college, I left. Uh, I decided to drop out halfway through junior year because, it, A, it was causing me a ton of money. And my parents, like, we're still in debt to the school to this day, even though I didn't graduate. We're both paying off the loans. Um, and, B, I just could not be in that environment anymore. I had relapsed into my bulimia. It was pretty bad. And I tried to see a school counselor, but... Um, they were not very helpful at all. Could you explain the difference between bulimia and anorexia to people who don't, might not? Sure. Well, first of all, eating, there's many, many, many different types of eating disorders besides anorexia and bulimia. Those are just like the two most mainstream ones. They're, that just, the two that, they're just the two that Kyle knows. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not alone. Like, yeah. Most people will think of those Same. right away. So yeah. anorexia is when you starve yourself, basically. And... Um, usually to be diagnosed. Well, actually, this might not be true anymore. In the past, you had to be a certain BMI to be diagnosed, which is bullshit. Mm. Because you can be overweight and have anorexia, you know? Mm. Um, But then bulimia is when you binge, which is when you consume large quantities of food in one sitting, and then you purge. And that can be through vomiting, through over-exercise, through laxatives. Mm. And I've done all three. Um, And I tend, I was actually, when I was in treatment, most recently, I was diagnosed with anorexia 
uh, binge purge subtype, which I was like, what? Oh, wow. I, I don't think I have anorexia. Like I, um, I'm a normal weight and like, but because of, I guess, I don't know. Um, I'm still kind of coming to terms with it. Um, and also I think people get so tied up with diagnoses that they, like they, they think they have to fit a certain image yeah. or like be a certain way to be diagnosed and only then can they deserve help and they're valid. But no, like it, it, eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes. Um, it's kind of bullshit because uh, binge eating disorder was only added to the DSMV in the last like five years. Wow. It, it's pretty crazy. I could get on a soapbox about that. But um, what was her question? No, that was oh, it. It was what's the different type of eating disorders. And it sounds and and yeah, I just think to, to our listeners, just to there was a bit more understanding around that. That was the point where I first started the journey of losing my faith. So I dropped out of that school and I moved in with my aunt in the Dallas area because, um, you know, all my family was in Chicago at the time. I had moved to Oklahoma to escape them. So I didn't want to go back. And so I had gotten close with my aunt and uncle in Dallas. Um, it was the first time I'd really met any extended relatives and gotten to know them because we were moving around all the time as kids. And so I really enjoyed their company and they offered to let me stay in their house and work and save money because I was seeing a boy at the time that I met at the Christian school and he was going to move to Austin after graduating. So I was like, Austin sounds cool. I'll go too. So I stayed in Dallas for a year to save up to move to Austin. I was working three jobs. Um, I was bulimic for part of the time. Um, again, it's kind of blurry. I remember at one point it was really bad. And then I was just like, okay, I'm not going to reach my goal if this continues. So mm. I just kind of like put it on pause or something. Um, I still can't tell you how it happened, but I just like stopped. Wow. Uh, I moved to Austin Broke up with the boy, but I loved Austin so much. I just stayed for four years. <laughs> um, my bulimia was in remission then. And I was arguably the happiest I've been in my life. However, when I was in Austin, that's when my alcohol use intensified. Mm. Um, but again, everyone I was with was drinking all the time. Um, it's kind of like a party town. Do you think, the do you think that the, firstly, Austin's great. I've been there a couple of times. I love it. Um, yeah. Favorite city. It's so great. Do you think that there is, um, it's related that your bulimia, bulimia subsided as your alcohol took off? Do you think maybe you replaced one with the other? You have hit the nail on the head and kind of stolen my uh, conclusion, which is uh, <laughs> I, I feel like my issue, like the trauma that I went through has made me this way and um, it. I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Uh, like I said, I consider myself an addict. And I, I, um, there's always something, whether it's like alcohol or drugs or bulimia or like self-harm, whatever. Um, just a way to either numb myself or make myself feel. And I need to, I can't get over the, it until I like address the root issues, which yeah. to be honest, like I, I've had a really hard time finding a regular therapist since I've moved. I moved to Seattle. Uh, I'm in Seattle, by the way. I don't know if I said that. No, but that's uh, good to know. I'm, I moved here three years ago and it's been a really hard three years for my mental health. So backing up to Austin, I, um, four years in, I met another guy who was in the military. He got stationed to Virginia, which is where my family was also living at the time. And so he was like, come with me. And my family was like, you should go with him. And so I went. And that was 
kind of a poor decision on my part because it was too soon. Um, I, I wasn't like in love with this person. He was just very safe and good on paper. And like, I don't know. I just wanted to get out of Austin at the time because my alcohol use is ramping up. And I was mm. like, if I leave Austin, everything will be all better. Mm. Uh, no, it, it did not get better. Mm. Turns out, shocker. Um, <laughs> I, I moved to the D.C. area with that guy. Um, I was working and also starting up school. Mm. Um, I had attempted, like, since I dropped out of the Christian school, I had to try to go back to community college for a while out of pocket got a couple of credits in that way. Um, and I, I was working at Starbucks at the time and they launched this program where you could go to Arizona state online and they would pay for it. Oh wow! And so I was like, Oh hell yeah, I'll do that. So I was taking a full course load working full time. Um, and turned to alcohol to get me through that. Mm. Um, fast forward a year, I'm a full blown alcoholic. I'm drinking in secret from my ex, mm. uh, hiding bottles in the bathroom, operating vehicles while drunk, which wow. I'm, I'm one of the most things I'm ashamed of, most ashamed of now. Um, I, I've never hurt anyone or myself and I'm very lucky, but it could have happened. Yeah, so easily, for sure. You know? Um, so all this time, my ex is like urging me to get help and I just don't want to. Um, and so we broke up. He just couldn't take my alcohol use. Um, and there were other issues, but, um, I was like, okay, I want to move as far away from everyone as I can. And then my life will be fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, again, trying to move to fix my problems. Mm -hmm. So I picked Seattle because it was on the other side of the country. Do you see a pattern here? I, I see. <laughs> I had never been before, but I was like, you know what? It looks pretty. I'll go. Um, and I came here and, Less than six months after I moved here, I was in detox uh, for my alcohol use. And I had reached a very low point. Uh, I was suicidal. I was pushing away friends and uh, just barely functioning. Mm. So I don't know. I, I graduated from college. Congrats. I got my first like big girl job. Um, and I was still, my bulimia came back with a vengeance. It was very bad. Wow. And I was just thinking, like, can I get a fucking break? Yeah. Like, when is this going to get better? Um, yeah. And, you know, at the same time, I was feeling this intense hatred for myself uh, because I was just, like, quote, unquote, choosing sickness. Right. Like, because, you know, when you're a smart person and you have, a lot of smart people do have mental illnesses, it's like, I'm so smart, but I'm, I'm doing this dumb thing. What's wrong with me? I deserve to be punished. And... I guess tying this all to my trauma as a kid, because this show is about like trauma. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's been a pattern of my life, right? It's just changing out one coping mechanism for another. Um, you know, the very first one was self-harm, but then bulimia, then alcohol. And once I got sober from alcohol, um, I started experimenting with cannabis and um, abusing fucking Benadryl. Like, mm. it, it doesn't matter what the drug is. Right like people can abuse it. And, um, for me, because of the trauma I've experienced, I just feel the need to, um, get fucked up. Yeah. Like I, it's, yeah. it's partly a punishment. Cause I, growing up with all the experiences I had, I kind of like, I was being told that I was a bad person 
I was a sinful person and that only God could save me. Mm. And that, um, that's kind of stuck with me subconsciously over the years. I, I feel an intense self-hatred most of the time. Mm. I am very hard on myself. Um, and yeah, I just feel the need to fuck myself up with like drugs or whatever, just to punish myself, but also to let other people know like, Hey, I'm struggling. Cause right. I'm, I'm, um, up until I started my podcast, uh, Pickles and Vodka, two, three years ago, I never really talked about my mental health. Um, I just kind of held it in and depended on things like my eating disorder or my self-harm or my yeah. substance abuse to like show people how damaged I was. What's interesting, though, about when you were talking about all of that is that it sounded like you were quite secretive about it, which is yeah. it, which because this kind of goes two ways, doesn't it? I think. And then certainly with alcohol, you can be a very kind of public drinker. But for the most part, when you become a problem drinker or you're drinking to self-medicate, it's mm-hmm. similar to, I guess, the bulimia. It's you're doing it because it's your thing. It's not anyone else's thing. It doesn't really make sense because I feel like I partially do it to express my pain, mm-hmm. um, like for attention, I guess. But then also I keep it secret and I don't want anyone to know. So it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when I was drinking, I would mostly do it alone. I didn't go out drinking with friends that much. Um, no one knew I had a problem. I would drink at work, but I was, uh, in the service industry. And so like, it was kind of normal and, um, I did a great job. I I convinced myself that I was better at my job when I was drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) so yeah, once I lost the alcohol, I, I felt this panic, like, okay, what, like um, my mom came to visit me actually when I got out and she stayed with me for a week and that was really helpful. But eventually she left and I was like, Oh my God, I'm all by myself. Mm. I don't have alcohol. What am I going to do? So I would do things like walk for three hours at midnight um, just to keep myself out of the house. Wow. Um, You know, have crazy bouts of cleaning, um, sign up for extra hours at work, whatever it took. I just didn't want to be alone with myself. And I, now I recognize that that's an indicator that my problems weren't fixed, mm. even though I was sober, which is great. I'm super proud of myself for maintaining that over the years. But um, there's still a lot of issues that needed to be addressed, and I didn't address them. Mm. And then I, I don't remember when I started binging and purging again once I got sober, but you know, once it started, it just took off super fast, um, Mm. lost a lot of weight and like, there, there were just a myriad of other negative health consequences that came with that. But, um, I kind of welcomed them with open arms because they made me feel valid. They made me feel like my trauma was valid. My suffering was valid. I deserved to, um, just to exist, I guess. Wow. I don't know. I guess there's an element. I feel that. Sorry, go on, Carl. Oh, no, I'm saying I feel that I, you know, I definitely it's it's more than hate. I, I definitely felt that self-loathing where you're just like, you know, I, I wouldn't wish the things that I was saying upon myself to my worst enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's so hard to follow your own advice. Yeah. And I I mean, I still sometimes get that where I'm just like, oh, fuck, why did I do that? Or, and. It's funny, like, we can forgive a, a whole litany of other people and their sins, but when it comes to us, like, <coughs> we're our harshest critics. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Um, it, it requires 
a big paradigm shift, like fixing the whole way you think about yourself or um, to get out of that cycle. And I'm obviously still in the middle of it. I keep thinking of how to wrap up, but honestly, I, I'm still in the, th- the thick of it and I don't have any answers, well, you know? Uh- that's perfect. I've still got a bunch of... I just, it's a fascinating story and it's perfect and extremely relevant because it's all about the journey and it's all about you know people finding out the trigger or the thing or is it one thing or is it a series of things and just your journey of... and the evolution and all the stuff you had to go through with growing up in what sounds like nothing short of a religious cult. Uh. It was it was basically a cult. Like the group that they were in, um, I've looked up articles about it and it's there are fellow survivors, I guess. I, I feel wow. weird saying that word, but there's a lot of articles written by people who got had gone through that same program and they were like, Yeah, it's a cult. Um And do we wanna say what who what that group is? So it was Bill Gothard was the, the leader of it. Right. Um, the Institute in Basic Life Principles is the name of the right the place the oh, interesting. thing whatever right yeah um, it's it's now come out of course years later that like he there's a lot of sexual abuse allegations against him and like all this crazy stuff my mom was his secretary wow for years wow and she still to this day like he was at their wedding uh, my mom and my dad's wedding like to this day she'll defend him wow um I remember going to a conference and there were like thousands of people in this auditorium. And like one day we had to fast, like everyone, even the kids. And I remember just thinking, I'm really hungry. I'm too hungry to think about what's going on right now. Like I, I don't even remember anything else about the conference. That is except so like terrifying. The hunger. Um, it's kind of fucked up. Like I don't talk about it a lot. In fact, this is the first time I've sat down and told like my life story from beginning to wow. end. And like, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. So um, I think, um, I mean, the big takeout with all of this stuff is the self-value and the self-worth or the lack of. And Kyle and I talk about that sort of thing a lot. And that Kyle, you know, with his insights earlier about just that self-loathing, it's such a huge reason to do a whole multitude of awful things to ourselves. You know, it's having no belief in decision-making. It's turning to drink and drugs or eating disorders and it's a huge, yeah, a huge trigger for mental illnesses, trauma, PTSD, anxiety, goodness gracious me, you know? And it's just so, I mean, as a father with two kids, it's just not Mm. wanting to make that mistake as a parent, just to let my children know their value and their worth and how, how amazing they are and that they can feel that they can express themselves and be who they want to be, you know? That's beautiful. But like, the thing is, you don't, you you can give a child the best upbringing ever and they'll still turn out like, totally fuck messed up in in quotes to put it. um, Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. I I have a question and you know, you know, you don't have to go into great detail, but have because it sounds like you've done a lot of work on yourself. So congrats and like kudos. Because have you started like finding ways to fall back in love with yourself? And also, well, do you have faith at all in anything? Um, 
kind of and no. <laughs> okay, the um, end. <laughs> so uh, I, I have the last uh, year, the last six months, honestly, I've really been working hard to love myself and uh, be gentle sure. to myself and give myself yeah. nice things. And uh, treatment definitely helped. But it was only the beginning. I, I really do need to work on myself and get to the root of these issues if I am to have a better life and a, a live in wellness. And so that's something I'm always working on. Um, as for faith, uh, I don't have, I, I stepped away from the faith completely, uh, in 2013. Actually, it was kind of funny. I was living with my aunt in Dallas and I, I got, I had a motorcycle at the time and I crashed it and I was in the ER and my parents came. And I was like super high on drugs. And I was like, mom, I don't think I believe in God anymore. Wow. And she was like, oh, we know. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were like, we know, we know. Go back to sleep. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it sounds like you're having faith in yourself. And that's that's amazing. I mean, it's a nice idea. I, I mean, <laughs> if I don't have faith in myself, I can't like I am the only one that is with me all the time. Mm. Like no one else is going to take care of me except for myself. Like no one else is going to give as much of a shit about me as myself mm. and no one else is going to fix my problems. I have never really been in the right state of mind to recover. There's always been a part of me that wants to keep close to my eating disorder. It's like a bad boyfriend, like an abusive ex-boyfriend that hurts you and lies to you. And then you, you keep going back time and time again, cause it's familiar. And yeah. also that person gets you in, gets your fucked upness in a way that like not a lot of other people do. Like um, it's the same with my eating disorder. Like, I don't know. It's very hard to give up. Mm. Um, and so I'm still working on that. Obviously um, wow. I've had a few lapses since I got out of treatment, but the, the way I handle it now is so different than the way I handled it in the past. Like in the past, I would just, I have my, my brain is very black and white. Like you're either recovering or you're relapsing. Mm. Whereas now I'm trying to say, okay, I might be relapsing and I'm in recovery. Yeah. Well, it sounds um, like... And that's been really hard. It sounds like the... I mean, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're doing all this work on yourself, and just the fact that you are openly talking about it is the biggest step in the world. And I can vouch for that because I (laughs) have done it and I've been there. And as soon I used to say to everybody that I was fine, I was fine, I was fine. And I was not fucking fine at all. (laughs) And now it's amazing because that whole weight has come off because I can call someone and say, I feel shit. I'm having a terrible day. I'm worried about what I might do, you know? And they can say, okay, good. Well, we know this about you now, as opposed to you telling everybody everything's fine and actually wanting to kill yourself, you know? (laughs) I I actually want to get a tattoo that says not fine. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Just because that's kind of my sense of humor. I don't know. I, I think everyone's fucked up in their own way and we need to talk about it. Like no one fucking talks about it. Even after a global pandemic, where overdoses were increasing and everyone's mental health is in the toilet, Mm -hmm. I still find myself reverting back to small talk Mm -hmm. with people. And Mm -hmm. it's so like, um, you know, not to be one of those people who comes on and plugs their shit, but like my podcast really helped me start talking about mental health in a bigger way and in a more public way. And I honestly don't know if, um, so, okay. When I went to treatment for the first time or back in January, I couldn't afford it. And so I started a GoFundMe um, and posted it on my Facebook and I met my goal within 24 hours. Wow. Um, and 
I would never have felt comfortable doing that if I hadn't been doing the podcast for two years and just like getting used to talking about mental health. And honestly, at the, I'm at the point right now where I just don't care anymore. And that sounds kind of insensitive, but what I mean is that I, if someone isn't going to accept me the way I am, then mm. they don't belong in my life anyway. Yeah. And the benefits of talking about this stuff overweigh the negatives. Like if I, um, I've just through talking about it, I've met so many amazing people. Same. I've had people come up to me and be like, I struggle with this too. Uh, all this really humbling stuff. Like it just really blows me away when I think about it. And that's all because I've talked about it more. Um, I love that. And you know, I'm not, I, I don't like go out the streets and be like, I'm depressed. <laughs> 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 I want to die. <laughs> oh my God. I just funny. took 15 Benadryl and I'm feeling great. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, not so that the, I, the code, the code is, of course, now, now we've done an amazing um, interview with you and you're going to be an episode on our podcast that we have to plug your podcast. I think you said it was called <laughs> Pickles and Vodka. Yes. Right. Uh, the reason it's called Pickles and Vodka is because I was living in Virginia, relapsing into my bulimia and a raging alcoholic. I was sitting on the couch at like 2 a.m. with a bottle of vodka in front of me and a bottle of pickles. Because at the time, pickles were the only thing I would let myself eat because they're zero calories. And I, you know, vodka calories don't count, obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, this is so funny. Like, so I think you just have to laugh at yourself sometimes. Oh, my gosh. My mental health is so funny. <laughs> like, brains are so funny. People are so funny. And um, what sort of thing do you talk about on the podcast? What's the deal? Is it guests? Is it just you? Is it what's the format? So, um, I'm really bad at marketing myself, so bear with me. Sure. Um, so it's called Pickles and Vodka. It's, um, an unfiltered mental health podcast where we just talk about things no one wants to talk about in real life. So that can be, um, mental health issues you're currently going through, or if you want us to talk about a past experience, um, basically I just sit down and interview people for an hour about their mental health and it's very casual. It's not structured at all, really. Um, some episodes are just me. Um, actually one of my most downloaded episodes is, um, I had just gotten out of treatment and I didn't have like an interview to release. And so, um, one thing I do is make audio journals, Right. it helps, it helps me process things just like talking to myself. And so I had a bunch of those and I was like, I'm just going to release some of these to the public. Um, and I, when I recorded them, I didn't mean to do that. Like I didn't think anyone would ever be listening. So they're very raw. They're very painful but it's, it's like my yeah. most downloaded episode i'm like that feels weird i don't know how i feel about that like talking about like my bulimia uh to the internet and like my family can listen to it and all this stuff um, yeah and, but yeah it, it's been tremendously helpful for me um and yeah i just love talking to people about that stuff and i i really am working hard to like destigmatize talking about it and just uh, it's, it's not for people who have their shit together. Like sometimes I'll interview like professionals, mm. like therapists and stuff, mm. but for the most part, it's just regular people yeah. uh, talking about their mental health. I like that. You don't want people that have figured it out. You just want people that are still totally fucked up on your show. Yeah. Oh, and even the professionals <laughs> yeah. are kind of fucked up, you yeah. know, like everyone's yeah. fucked up in their own way and totally. we need to talk about it. That's the only way we're going to get better. And I think that seems like a very good time to wrap up the chat. Kyle, unless you have yeah. any insights or delightful final questions no pressure no i thank you so much like that that was that was amazing thank you 
Thank you for having me. I love your podcast and what you do. And um, yeah, I'm excited to follow you guys. Well, stay in touch. Um, stay in touch. And good luck with the move back to the parents. Oh, God, thanks. Uh, I'm sure I'll update it. Uh, I'll talk about it on my podcast. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Pickles and Vodka Podcast. Um, my personal Instagram is xtinajumper. If you want to follow me. Um, and we're going to put all the links on our show notes as well. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I, I, I'm really bad at this. I fucking hate it when people are just like plugging their podcasts. I'm no, like, but oh. it's no you're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, and we'll put all thank the links. You. But thank, thank you. Thank you so much for this, you guys. It was great. So nice to meet you. Good luck. Yeah, you as well. Bye.